Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining Kim and I today. We're here talking all things wine with you. How are you, Kim? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Everything is good. Thanks. Good. Once again, I was looking at uh, notes, and our listeners know that uh, we talk about the wine enthusiast an awful lot, Kim. And tonight, we have another article uh, from Wine Enthusiast. So I think we should be getting a free subscription pretty soon <laughs> in the mail. No, They owe us. We've talked so much about wine enthusiasts, but they do really put out very informative articles we like to talk to the listeners about. Yeah. And this one was about what do we mean when we say a grape is a noble grape? And for our listeners, they're probably saying, I've no, what are you talking about? Kim, how would you like to start? What, how can we explain to the listeners noble grapes? So the first thing that popped in mind for me on this one was, do people even talk about these as noble grapes anymore? Like, is that a term that you feel you've heard from other people in the industry or your salespeople or whatnot? Because I don't feel like I've run across it a whole lot lately. Yeah. I think it used to be all replaced. over the place. With international grapes, right? Right. I, like the right. phrasing and the terminology has kind of changed. And I wonder if we're moving away from this idea of, oh, there are these top of the pyramid quality grapes that are above and beyond everybody else. And so we're going to give them this special name because I really feel like I haven't necessarily heard the term in a while or when I have, it has expanded beyond this original six that are talked about in this article to be like eight or nine or 10. Like there are other grapes that seem to be um, nudging their way into the pantheon of noble grapes, I suppose you could say. Because when we talk about it's like, oh, there are only these top six varieties. It's like, well, what about this one? And what about this one? And what about this one? So I feel like this list is somewhat fluid. And every once in a while, when you hear this term, they might not only apply to these um, these six grape varieties that this article in uh, in Wine Enthusiast talks about. Do you think it goes back to originally how people were educated on wine and grapes? Because I seem to recall, I know the International Sommelier Guild was based on noble grapes. And mm. I know a lot of books, isn't the windows on the, of, of the, what's the windows book? Which, uh, yeah, windows in the world. Windows of the World. That isn't that based on these six noble grapes. I, I think so. I, I'm pretty sure Andrea Immer, her educated wine books that were based on the, the noble grapes as well. So it's three whites and three reds. And maybe Kim, it's because over time these grapes have kind of fallen out a little bit in popularity with everything else. You know, there's so much more, like you said, so much more out there now yeah. that people are gravitating towards. I think that there's, on the one hand, these are grape varieties that are the cornerstones for so many of the classic regions and styles that we base our understanding of quality wine are. So for our listeners, the grape varieties that we're talking about are Cabernet Merlot and Pinot Noir for the Reds and Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Riesling for the whites. So if you think about those classic regions of France, 
and Germany because we have the Riesling in here as well. Those places that are storied and traditional and have these long histories of winemaking and of these very famous names like Burgundy and Bordeaux and Champagne, these areas are based on these grapes. And on the one hand, it's like, well, yes, you know, we need to think about what is it about these grape varieties that have caused them to be able to spread across the world and make quality wine in practically any area where they're grown, as long as the climate is appropriate for that grape variety. But even if it's not, you can still make pretty well-made Sauvignon Blanc if, if it's generally even a little bit too hot for that classic styling that we associate with Sauvignon Blanc. We still get great wines from these grape varieties. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, not only is there a lot of other things out there, but it sort of has a little bit of this snobbishness to it. I sort of feel like where it's like, oh, these are the pinnacle and nobody else, regardless of what they're growing, is going to make anything that can rival these grape varieties. So I I think it's that play between traditionalism and new wines, maybe a little bit more democratic winemaking or wine planting, wine growing, if you want, kind of this move away from this sort of aristocratic language that we associate with these grapes, quote unquote, noble grapes. Yeah, the noble thing seems a little snobby. So I guess that's why international is much better because, I mean, they can literally grow pretty much anywhere in the world. It's certainly more descriptive to use the word international because it does highlight that these are grape varieties that only are grown all over the world, like I said, but have found new homes in so many places. I mean, think of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Think of Chardonnay from California. Think of Pinot Noir from Oregon, Cabernet from Argentina and Chile. There are places all over the world that have really embraced these grape varieties and have created their own styles based on these grapes that are world-class wines now. And the French, like you said earlier, the five of the six are French origin, and they make people know that they're uh, proud that uh, most of these <laughs> came certainly from France, do. right? <laughs> I know they always say that to the Italians, that if it wasn't for French grapes, there wouldn't really be any Italian wine history there. But we talked about the international varieties. A lot of times people, when we talk in the wine world, there's indigenous grapes, which are only grown in certain spots of the world. That's their thing. That's It's not grown anywhere else that people don't even attempt it because it's just that's where it's grown. But these, like we were saying, can grow anywhere in the world. And I think, Kim, you do an excellent job when we do classes and you're teaching grapes. And you, for instance, you talk about Sauvignon Blanc and you show if it's grown here these are the characteristics. And if it's grown another part of the world, these are the characteristics. And you can say that for all of these six grapes in different parts of the world, there's classic regions, but they really express themselves on where they're grown in the world. Would you like to just tell us maybe an example of like the Sauv Blanc? I know you touched a little bit earlier, but give an example how the profile changed by where the grape is grown. Sure. And it depends not only on the weather and the climate, but there are other 
factors that will impact what the flavor of the grape will be and then by extension the resulting wine. So you have to take into account a lot of different things. You know, there there's the climate. So how hot do the days get? How cool do the nights get? Do they have a long summer? Do they have a short summer? What is the soil type? How much sunshine does the grape get? So how much water, um, wind, all of those factors will impact how the grape is grown and what the final wine will taste like. So everywhere is slightly different. So if you look at those factors, we tend to break the flavors of those wines down into two big, broad categories, depending on the climate. So we say that there are cool climate wines and warm climate wines. And then it's a bit of a spectrum. So you go from certain flavor profiles when your climate is on the cooler end of things versus when it's on the warmer end of things. So if we're taking Sauvignon Blanc into consideration and we say, okay, some of the coolest places in the world that grow Sauvignon Blanc are its more traditional homelands, let's say the Loire Valley. So we're in central France, kind of continental because it's it's fairly far away from the Atlantic Ocean. And we have a lot of minerally notes, some citrusy notes, a lot of grassy notes. So it's a little bit more of a savory, herbal, minerally wine. You don't get this big punch of like ripe, ripe fruit, like tropical fruit notes. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, if you plant Sauvignon Blanc in California, where it gets lots of sunshine and is very hot, nice long summers, you're on the other side of it. So you have pineapple and you have overripe peach and you have these like almost like a fruit cocktail, fruit cup kind of a flavor to your Sauvignon Blancs. And I think that honestly, that's why we do see some oaked Sauvignon Blancs from California is because that fruit is just so powerful that it can stand up to a little bit of oak treatment. So hence the Fumé Blancs that sometimes you will see on the label. And then sort of in the middle, we have a place like New Zealand where you get a little bit of both. You get some of that tropical fruit note, but you get this very distinctive citrusy note. You get grapefruit, which is the highlight of New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs. But you also get those tropical notes. Like sometimes you'll get kiwi. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of that pineapple, like you would expect out of a warmer climate. But then we also get those green grassy notes. You know, there are some Sauvignon Blancs that I feel like I stick my nose in the glass and I get a whiff of jalapeno pepper. There's a, a distinctly green vegetal note to it. So those are the, I feel like the three big styles that if you were to taste those three wines side by side, one from France, one from New Zealand, and one from California, you can pick out what I like to call a family resemblance. You can tell these are all the same grape variety, but just different expressions of that grape along the spectrum, depending on how warm or not the weather is in those particular places. Once again, Kim, our listeners have heard that it's wine, so of course it's not simple, but it makes a great <laughs> adventure True. to explore when, say you are a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc drinker, you can venture out and find it from other areas and really explore how that makes a difference for where it's grown. And you can do that with all six of these noble grapes. So if you have a favorite, either red or white, you can explore it from other areas. It makes it fun. It does. 
And that's one of the beauty of having some of these grape varieties that you can find from all of these different places is that you can taste them from different areas and make your own little wine tasting. And I feel like it gives you a really good grasp of what that particular grape variety is all about. So just like I did with Sauvignon Blanc, you can do that with Merlot. You can do that with Pinot Noir. You can do that with Cabernet. You can do that with Chardonnay. Chardonnay, I feel like is a little bit harder because of all the oak, but this is one of those things that I think can feel a little scary, (laughs) but is also extremely eye-opening. And I feel like sometimes when I do these side-by-side comparisons of the same grape variety from different places, I people get to have that light bulb moment. You know, the light bulb goes off and your your eyes are like, ha, I get it. And I think that this is a really great way to do it because it's very cut and dried for you. It's like same grape variety, different places. And what's beautiful about, say, something like Riesling is that they're often made in the same way. You know, you don't have to worry about any oak treatment. And the only difference would be, you know, in some places they might have more or less sweetness to them. But other than that, I think that this is a a great exercise in learning about different places, but also the particular flavors that you would get out of a particular grape variety. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. And as always, you can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome back. Every week, we are bringing you trending topics in the wine world. And today, we want to talk a little bit about questions to ask in your local wine shop. This is an article from Vine Pair, which just like wine enthusiasts that we just talked about, is another one of our go-to websites. And as two folks who have many, many years combined in retail wine sales, it's always fun to talk about retail wine articles because <laughs> we've been there and we've lived that life. So do you want to start us off with the first question from this article, Mark? Yeah. Well, first, Vine Pair owes us too, just like uh, That's right. wine just enthusiasts. That's right. Just like wine enthusiasts, Vine Pair owes us. You can find our addresses. <laughs> <laughs> they should give us a free ad on their yeah, website. something. Uh, first, I think I'd like to thank people for shopping small, shopping with your local That's right. wine Shop shops. Local. That's Number one, a lot of these were kind of strange, I thought, but <laughs> in, in, but I guess we can talk about it and kind of turn it the way it should maybe. Okay. But what I think should be asked. So, Our spin. Yeah, we'll go down the list, but it said uh, the first thing you should ask is what pairs best with dinner? Well, I don't get them with things the first thing you should ask, but that these are. Well, yeah, not okay, in any order. Good okay. questions to ask. Yeah. Not in any particular order. They say you should ask what pairs best with dinner. And basically, my recommendation is, are you going in to buy a wine for a meal or for food? Or is it just a wine you're looking to just sit and drink and enjoy? Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be dinner. What was your take on that question to ask? Yeah, absolutely. I think that sometimes the enjoyment of the wine is based on what you are what context you are having it in. And food does bring out the highlights in certain wines and in other wines, if you drink them on their own, they're not going to taste as well as they should than if you were having them with a meal. So I think that this is a smart question to ask both on the part of the retailer or the wine consultant in the store. But if you know that you were going into a store to buy a particular wine to go with a dinner, go with a meal or go with a holiday, 
bring that up. Like that's great information because we can then hone in on a whole selection of wines that will go with what you are planning on pairing them with. And there's never like the perfect wine. There are whole varieties of things that will go with a particular meal. So that's one of the things that actually I always found to be really fun about working retail is when people said, I'm making this dish, give me some wines to go with it. And be like, yay, fun. So I think that this is actually a great question uh, to bring up when you're shopping. Yeah. And the spin on that should be when you ask retailer for a wine, they should be asking you for what purpose right back at you. Is it food or there are questions the opposite way that go with that. But don't just say, oh, I'm having chicken. Because then the next question from us is going to be, how are you cooking the chicken? What is going with the chicken? Are there spices? Is there a sauce? You know, we want a little bit more detail because just saying I'm having chicken or I'm having fish. is like, well, tell me more. It it all leads to a better... (laughs) experience right, for exactly. everybody. Exactly. Next, they were saying, Kim, a question to ask is say, I usually drink this, say, grape or style or region. What is similar? So you should ask to venture out. And we've talked mm-hmm. about this many times. If your go-to is drink Chardonnay, what would you recommend? And that's going to lead back again, like the first question is to ask you more questions of what is your grape now? What is your style now? What is the region you're drinking now? So you can be helped to find something comparable. Nothing I else agree. Like. And sometimes with the, I usually drink wine made from XYZ grape, we might ask more leading questions. Like if you say that you drink Chardonnay, we might want to know, oh, Chardonnay from where? Because that answer could dictate what our recommendation is going to be. And we might not stick with that grape variety. We might try to suss out okay, what is the style that you like? And I'm going to give you something completely different from a totally different place, but that the flavor profile matches what you like about the wine in that glass. So sometimes when we ask leading questions, it may seem like, what the heck are they trying to get at? But trust us (laughs) that we are just trying to find you uh, another bottle that you are going to like just as much. Yeah, we should have renamed this article, what your retail is going to ask you once you ask them. (laughs) <laughs> because it's it turn it turn right. around because it just leads to so much more. The next question but I think was that conversation is important and yeah, I, of course and it it definitely helps to get to the bottom and of things. This because retail they're saying wine shop, but it's also restaurant. It, it pretty much the same sort of conversations and questions to have. The Absolutely. next thing Kim was an interesting point. I thought they were saying to ask what winemakers focus on nature or sustainability. And what was your take before I give my kind of feedback on that question? That this is not a question that I got all that often. Yeah. Frankly. Bingo. What I was thinking is more important, you should ask, do you know anything about this wine you're selling? Do mm. you know mm-hmm. what's in this wine? Do you know who made this wine? Do you know about this wine? Right? It's not as much as tell me about the winemaker, what they're practicing. Is. There's a lot of other basic things you should ask first or be concerned about first before you go to this level? I think this is a poorly worded question, frankly, but I see what they're getting at. You know, they're asked, you know, that what's at the heart of this question is someone being concerned about, is this wine, I want to buy a wine that is sustainable and is environmentally friendly. Show me what you got. I like, I think that's what the question is, but it, like you said, it's more complicated than that. It's not just like, here's an organic bottle. See you later. There's 
other yeah. things that go into the conversation about what makes a wine either be sustainable or be quote unquote natural. And sometimes those things aren't on the label, but as you said, you as the retailer would know more than what is just printed on the bottle. It and to ask to many, that question. Many, many more questions right. from that. Next, Kim, what has been inspiring you locally? And when they say locally, to me, I'm thinking United States because that's the most popular wine people are looking for. Something from the United States typically California. They're not really saying to me something that's made in Massachusetts because it's not as popular. Did you get that take on that question? Nope. I got the opposite. You got really meaning that local. I think when like someone asks New England, local. local, what is what do you have that's local? They're not talking California. They're talking New England. Local? See, I was thinking USA. No, local. that's not local. Because now it, it's as tough because, well, maybe other parts of the country, but there's not a big focus on local in right. Massachusetts. I think, so. and I think that that's, I mean, we don't necessarily, I mean, our, we have some wineries from the southern part of Massachusetts and northern Rhode Island that make some wine. And then we have Long Island and the Finger Lakes. I mean, those are our local, quote unquote, fine wine regions. So you can't. 3,000 miles away is not local. Well, you hit on this before, I believe, that we live in Massachusetts. So if you want to get that wine, you can pretty much, people go there and get it, I feel. I don't see people having a real call for it because we live here. You know what I mean? I think, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting it through properly, but I just don't see it, any call for it. It's usually something like New York or something. Someone mm -hmm. goes out of state and then they want something local that way but but i don't think they would use that nomenclature i don't think they would use the word local like i think that yeah. the, like the local food movement or local wine movement and what the, the definition totally is something different. like 250 miles or might even be less than that for what qualifies as quote unquote right. local but i think it's totally different with wine yeah i agree food. i agree but it also is probably different in other states too so if you're in virginia and you have way more of a market in your 50 mile radius of wineries. And if there is a more robust distribution system and call for those wines for people to buy in your market, then this might be a more important question that we have here. I mean, as much as we have good local wines in the area, I think most of them, like you said, are, are sold through the winery itself and not through just right. distribution right. channels. Well, let's just say the best way to say this, what's been inspiring you? That's a good question. Oh, because that, that leads that to good. that leads to many other things. Next, but I question think instead is, of using the yep. word local, I think the word domestic. Yeah, the domestic would get my point apart about yeah. Uh, California. Yeah. Next question they said you should ask your local wine shop is here's my favorite fruit flavor. Which wine should I choose? It, this to me is all about if you know your own profile, what you like, anything, doesn't matter fruit, it's a style, whatever you like, you have to be able to relate that to a store or a restaurant. If they don't have the wine you normally drink, Mm -hmm. for them to recommend something else to you, the more detail of what you like, your profile. So this is a good question always to ask. No I agree. Feedback. It's not okay. only knowing your favorite fruits and flavors, but it's also knowing the textures that you like. Right. So right. if you more know that it. you like wines with a little bit of sweetness, 
speak up about that. If you know that you can handle big, heavy tannins, speak up about that too. This next question, I'm sure you, you had said maybe you had a little <laughs> with, with issue with some of the questions. It's, it's saying you go into the wine shop and you're saying, what should I drink if I'm feeling like whatever based <laughs> if on if i've mood. had a bad day yeah, what bad should day. i drink i'm sure people are usually in the wine shop when they're having a bad day right they need something <laughs> but based on mood recommendations i don't think i've ever had anyone ask me for a mood recommendation no me neither yeah. <laughs> i'm so out there <laughs> so i'm wondering where they're kind of going with that i don't know like I mean, i'm situations... not sure that i i mean my taste in wine doesn't change whether I'm happy or sad. So I don't know why yeah. I would tell the wine store person that I'm having a bad day. What do you recommend? Yeah. I don't know. I thought this one was completely out of right field. Left field? Left the field. only thing I can think of is like I had that moment this weekend. I was like, you know, I I need something cooler, something. But that's the I'm weather. A white, right? <laughs> that's because it that's was 90 my mood. Degrees I'm out. not in the mood for a red. I'm in the mood for a white. All right. And but that's, but that's totally not because, than, you know, sad. you're feeling blue. A, yeah. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a sad mood. I need a 15, five alcohol. Exactly. Wine. Give me no. some bourbon. <laughs> so this one on the list, Kim and I kind of agreed, didn't, didn't really hit the mark, but if you want to come in and ask that, come right in. Next question you should ask your wine shop. I have $25. What's best for the price. That's I love it when people tell me what they are prepared to spend. Exactly. Great point on that. Because then we and don't that's... have to go pussyfooting around the money issue. We don't have to show you three wines in different price points because people don't want to talk about how much money they want to spend. You know, if yeah. you can just be right. like, I have this much to spend, give me something really good. Like, yeah. I can do that for you. It goes back to like the first question asking about your dinner. It's going to be back to you. What's your price point you want to be in? Because we're going to ask it anyway. Right. And you get this so much with when someone's looking for a gift. I'm looking mm -hmm. for a good bottle as a gift. It's for my mother-in-law. And then you say, well, we always say, Kim, is what price point do you want to be in? Oh, you $10, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we usually try to pick three points, you know, a 10, maybe 20 or 30. So you can get you in a certain spot or a certain region we can help you with. At 25 bucks, asking that question, you can get, you should be getting a good recommendation. Oh yeah. 25 right? is like the sweet spot and beyond. Like there's so good stuff yeah. you can get for 25 less. But again, one you, of other questions. You can below. edit this question to ask based on your budget. You right. can come, you can say the same thing. I'm looking for a $10. What do you recommend? A $20. And in right. a restaurant, you know, double and triple it because you're not going to find those prices. Right. But nobody in a retail shop should make you feel bad about what no, you can no. spend. They so should if, ask you, you know, what you want to spend. If you, your budget is your budget, then it is our job and our duty to give you the best wine for what you can comfortably pay. So that's why there's so much out there and, and there's so price, much variety and so much value. The price thing leads to, they also had two questions not to ask or to avoid. And one of them was related to a price. It says, you should never ask, can I get a bottle in the $50 range? What's but, the difference than the previous one? Right. So they're saying, don't ask that. What's the assumption, Kim, that you're just, they're just going to give you the most expensive bottle doesn't mean it's 
a good bottle or it's what you what you need for that bottle, right? right? But uh, but Why I think you that spend fifty dollars again, right? This is an uh, an example of you need to ask follow up questions. So, do you need a bottle in the fifty dollar range because that's your budget and you that's the most that you can spend? So you're like, okay, that's where I can be. So give me something good up to that. Or is it I need a bottle that's fifty dollars that costs fifty dollars to give my boss because I know they're going to go online and see how much it costs and I need to not look cheap. Right. Like I think that that's a, a a very valid point because we have so much ability to know how much something costs. And even if the quality of the wine of a less expensive wine is there, if somebody just goes for statement, how, make much, a how, statement. how much, impress, like making an impress. impression yeah. and that it's not about the flavor in the bottle, but it's just about how it looks, then that in itself has value because you don't want to look bad if you know that the right. person just wants an expensive bottle of wine just for the fact that it's an expensive bottle of wine. I have a habit of doing that in retail all the time. So I'm going to say I'm looking for this particular expensive bottle. And I'll say, you know, something maybe a little less, but I think is a lot, personally, I think is a lot better Mm -hmm. wine and a better gift. And because if they go to Google it, they're going to see better reviews. They're going to see not that price point, but they're going to enjoy it more than the other. But you get a lot of... But some people don't care about the reviews. Some people just care about the... On the name with the impression that I have to get, you know, one of these elite expensive Mm -hmm. bottles. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it was a bad vintage or... Yeah. You don't... It's it's It can sometimes be a status symbol, you know. It's tough. Ah. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) take the advice and just, you know, we're there to help. Also, the last question they said to avoid asking is which wines are dry because then we will just gesture to the entire selection and say practically this entire store is full of dry wines except for this one little section over here it leads yeah that's a hard one leads to many more questions why do you want dry what do you consider dry right it's but it's all it's also too broad and too vague Right. Like, okay, good. We have a lot of dry wines. So you need to ask even more of those follow-up questions. Do you think that's their point? Don't ask it because it's too vague. Yeah, I think so. You could get anything. It's going to be pretty much right and doesn't suit whatever you were in there looking for. Exactly. It's just, it's too broad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think articles like this bring up the attention that you should just be communicating again at a store or at a restaurant and also Uh, Is there anyone where you're shopping or eating that you can even ask anything to Mm -hmm. to get any of this feedback? So I think that's the important thing, too, is who's there I can ask. Right. And I think that that should help people determine where they do their shopping. Is there someone that you can ask these questions to who is knowledgeable and can answer them in a way that you will understand the answers? Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Ask your questions and leave us some comments if you like. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes and find us on Twitter at Wine Education and Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Wine, wine.